This is Real Estate Rookie Show number 63. I don't know. I, I tell Sean we're just so blessed with every house that we get. It's like a canvas, you know, that I can kind of paint on. Tony Robinson. Hey, Tony. How are you today? What's up, Ash? I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good. Anything new in the real estate investing world? What What did you close on this week? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. We actually did uh, close on a property a week and a half ago. Um, and then we've got a couple more in the pipeline. So we've got, we've got three under contract in Joshua Tree right now. Uh, we're actually going to submit two offers today as well, which is exciting. Um, and then we've got three more under contract in the Smoky Mountains. So I, I don't know how I have time in the day right now. Like things are moving so fast, lots of stuff <laughs> going on. And, and we actually, actually what's super exciting is we just got our first wholesale deal under contract as well. Awesome. So we've been working on, yeah, we've been working on wholesaling out here in California. So we got our first deal. We got the buyer or we have the seller under contract. We just got the buyer signed. So we're closing in two weeks on that one also. And we had kind of talked about that in the beginning of the year when we did goal setting. I remember you saying like wholesaling, you want to get into that. So that's great. I mean, it's not even the middle of February yet and you've already got your first one done. And it's so funny because like, you know, I, I think I mentioned before, like, I don't think I would be good at wholesaling, but I partnered with someone who I think would be right. So I'm yeah. doing this with my brother-in-law and he's definitely more of like the kind of got like the salesperson, but in a really like positive way. So he's making that piece work. But what's so funny, Ash, is like the very first batch of mailers that we sent out it was the very first phone call that came back that we got under contract. And I feel like you never, you never hear <laughs> that, right? It's just like, you need months and months, but for us, it's like the very first deal and we're, we're gonna turn a decent profit on it. So we're, we're excited about it. How many mailers did you guys send out? And then how many calls did you actually get all together so far? So we sent out the first batch and it was just a little under 600 mailers. I think it was like 598. And we got two phone calls. We went out to both of those properties um, and then we submitted an offer on one and we, and we got it accepted. Awesome. Great. I feel like we have to do another wholesaling episode. We haven't done one in a while and really like deep dive into to direct marketing and different ways to do that. So and, and it's, it's exciting because it's, you know, it's big chunks of cash and it's more transactional. You know, there, there's no tenants involved. So it's a different, very feel of real estate investing. But yeah, we, we definitely need to get some more wholesalers on here. Yeah. And build more capital to buy your rental properties, your short-term rentals. Yeah. I'm kind of in the same boat with you where if I did it, I would want, I know someone who would be perfect as like the face of it and actually go and like talk to the people and negotiate and stuff. But the problem is we live in different markets. So it's like, okay, do we target both markets? Do we do his market because he's like the boots on the ground or, you know, does he, we batch appointments. So he flies up and we go <laughs> yeah. feed the people. But also I would be the one that would know like estimating the rehab better than he mm. would. So it almost be like, we'd be a better team together on the ground. So I don't know, it's something I've been thinking about too, but, um, um, lots of logistics, but I like to be the one uh, behind the computer and not, I'll, right. you know, I'll <laughs> handle the direct mail, sending all that out. But then this right. person actually answering the phone calls that make the appointments, that's where a partner comes in. So, so you and I would be horrible partners for a wholesale deal. Because right. we, we both be <laughs> <laughs> well, today's episode has like nothing to do with wholesaling, right? right. <laughs> uh, but, it, but a really good episode nonetheless. So we've got a husband and wife team, Ann and Sean, and they've, uh, they've done, I think, 11 or 12 deals in like the last two years, um, almost all flips. And they talk a lot about how they're using hard money, how they're finding their deals. They picked up and moved their family to this location because they wanted to live and invest there. Lots of really good things they shared during this episode. 
Yeah. And aside from real estate investing, they talk about that Sean had the opportunity to take over a family business and decline that to actually go into to flipping full time. And they talk about, OK, now they've left, both left their full time jobs. How do you get health insurance? And that's like a big question that, you know, either it weighs heavy on people. What are you going to do, especially if you have a family or it's something you haven't even thought about? Like, oh, yeah, what happens when I leave my W-2? What what happens to health insurance? So I really love that that piece of advice. And then they talk about being on the Dave Ramsey path, how they paid off $93,000 in student loans, which really helped them once they got rid of that, accelerate, you know, their, their flipping business. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed, allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's rent retirement.com or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. Remember when you had to pay to get a lead's phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com BP. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com BP. This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that I turned one of my first homes into an Airbnb? It's true. And it even helped me get the extra income I needed to launch my real estate career. So if you want to try your hand at making even more income with your property, Airbnb is the place to be. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Sean, and welcome to the show. Super excited to have you guys on this morning. Oh, thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. I can tell, man. You guys had me busting up before we started recording, so I'm expecting like <laughs> nonstop laughs this whole interview. It's um, the so Wayne we'll, way. <laughs> there you go. So we'll get into your real estate story. Um, I guess just give us the background. You know, what has your journey been so far, and, and where are you guys at today? Right now, we we're just counting up this morning. We're trying to iron out the number, how, how what we've done so far. So we're on deal. 11 or 12 right now is what we're just about to start. But we started our journey in 2018. I was working full time. My dad's an entrepreneur, has a company with about 350 employees. I came straight out of school working for them. Great place. And 
But on the side, I started kind of fumbling around with this financial freedom idea and bumbled into bigger pockets. And after like a year of bigger pockets, I was like completely sold. You know, I mean, the, the corporate world is it's a beautiful thing. It's awesome. But what I saw was an incredible amount of time that you had to put in in chasing the dollar, right? Like that nine to five exchanging time for money. And Ann and I were at the point where it's like, hey, we want more time to be together, more time for our families. Like we want financial freedom. And when we first came out of school, we had $93,000 in student loans at like 6%. So like we knew what it felt like to be like under that like load of just debt and we hated it. And that really drove us to one kind of like figure out a strategy to manage our money, to pay that off. And then once we got through that, we said, hey, now we have this extra money that we've been used to living without, like, let's just start saving it. And hopefully we can get enough together where we can buy some real estate. So our very first deal, it was kind of providential and a lot of fun at the same time. Our landlord, when we first, about two years into our marriage, when we first met her, she had mentioned that she was a realtor. And as we got to know her, we're like six or eight months into to leasing from her, we developed like a good relationship with her. She starts talking about one day we're outside or whatnot. She goes, yeah, I mean, I'm going to buy this house. I'm going to flip it. And my eyes just go like, boom, because I've been <laughs> listening to bigger pockets. They're talking about networking. They're talking about mentors, all these things. And, and you're like, this is it. This is my chance, right? Like, this is like, the moment. Oh my gosh. I was like a child. I was like holding myself back or whatever. I went inside and was like, oh my gosh, but I played it cool. I played it cool. And then I, cause what I was trying to figure out when you hear about the mentor, you know, kind of the challenge of saying like, okay, I want you to be a mentor. And a lot of times that comes across as like, Hey, can you just help me like do this for free? And you hear Brandon and David, and you guys talk about that stuff all the time. It's like, what can I bring to the table? Is there something I can do? So I started racking my brain about three weeks later, I was at the gym. It was about six 30 in the morning. And I had just been, this had just been on my mind. And my landlord was an early, she was an early bird. I knew she was awake already. And I decided to shoot her a text at like 6.20 in the morning and said, hey, would you be open to mentoring Ann and I through a flip and we can work out, like you can be our realtor on both ends. We'll come out with some kind of way where like you make profit on as well. But like, we love you. We've seen what you've, do, what you've done, what kind of person you are. Like, we want to get into this. Um, and she texted me back like pretty fast. I'm like in the workout, like looking at my phone, like the whole time I'm sitting there, you know, just like checking my phone. And I got, and she texts probably like seven fifteen. She goes, let me think about it with a smiley face. And I was just like, oh yeah, there we go. <laughs> and about two 30 in the afternoon, I was at work. She called me and she said, Hey, she's like, I love you. And Ann, um, you know, I've gotten to know you over the past six or eight months. I'd be happy to do it. Like, let's go. And that kind of opened the doors to everything for us. So we owe her a lot of, a lot of praise. She, she spent so much time with us. So. And were you always on board with the real estate investing? And how, you know, how did he bring you onto this? Around that same moment that he's talking about when we purchased our first flip, he comes home, we're in a rental home and we're, I mean, painting the picture a little more, we're 24, 25 years old. Um, we have our firstborn at the time who's little, I mean, he's like one. And he says, baby sits me down. And he says, I want to buy a house. And I get so excited. Our first house. This is so exciting. And he said, I want it to be a foreclosure. Okay. All right. Okay. I can get on board. Like, I guess we'll put some paint on it and it will make it home. It'll be great. He says, then we're going to sell it again in three months. 
And I said, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, back up. <laughs> what are you talking about? And so he then explained where I would like to flip this house. You know, how do you feel about that? Lori said that she's thinking about it. Like, can we somehow pull this together? Would you like to be involved? How involved do you want to be? Yeah. So no, the answer to your question, Ashley, is no, absolutely <laughs> not. I was not a, what are we doing? You want to buy a house for somebody else before we even have our own house. So no, it was terrifying um, at first, but I, at that point, Sean and I had known each other for several years. We met in college freshman year actually, and started dating ice cream, ice cream, social, ice cream, ice cream, social. She threw a box of sprinkles at me. And oh I said, that's the one. I said, she's the one. That one's really fun. <laughs> that, that was the, you know, the Mary, the magic love potion. Just yeah. sprinkles <laughs> Wait, so, so for does. all the rookies that are listening, if you want to find your wife, just buy some sprinkles and, and throw <laughs> yeah. them at your potential. Yeah. Just toss it on some <laughs> random person on the street. <laughs> I had no idea at the time what I was doing. No idea. There was just... Yeah. So no, I wasn't on board at first, but I had my point to that was we had known each other for a long time and I had known Sean and his character and I had known that he doesn't do anything 110% and he mm-hmm. doesn't fail, to be honest. I mean, he does fail, but when he fails, he learns from those lessons and then therefore it's no longer a failure. It actually builds him into a better man, businessman, whatever his you know, goal is at the time. So I told myself, what's the worst thing that could happen? So mm-hmm. <laughs> from that moment, I jumped on board and I'm with Sean. I absolutely adored our landlord at the time. Now she's a really great friend of ours, but at the time I just adored her. And I said, if, if Lori's involved, then, then I'm in, you know, it made that risk a little less risky because we knew we were in good hands and I knew I was in good hands with Sean. And that was like the first door opening. I think for me, I wasn't madly in love with the process when it was over. I mean, we got our asking price, right, Sean, we got our asking price for it. And so it was successful and I was very excited about that, but I wasn't yet. I would say at that point I was like probably 80 85% in, which is still big time, you know, but I personally, for my own self, I was like, okay, you can do this. This can be your thing. So that's where I was in the very beginning. It started with the trust in your husband, which is what we, what we hear a lot, right? I know for me, that was, that was kind of what it was for me and my wife that she just trusted me, you know, and she had faith and confidence in me to kind of figure things out. I want to talk about your portfolio really quickly. Um, So you said that you guys have done 11 uh, or 12 deals. Can you just give us an overview of what those deals were? Were they all flips? Were they wholesales? What do we have within those 11 or 12 deals? Yeah, they, uh, we had two run of properties. So we did that first flip. And after that, I mean, I was like bit, right? Like once we sold it, it was like so much fun. And I was just like, Oh man, like a week later I was back talking to our realtor and be like, Hey, can, can we do this again? Like that was fun. And when I say fun, there's caveats to that, right? Like it was really hard. Like we were working full time. I was working like full time, 40 hours a week at work and then working, you know, 14 hours, Saturdays, Sundays, evenings and all that kind of stuff. But looking back at that finished product, we're like, this is awesome. So we immediately took that probably three months later and bought a duplex it was running for like 800 bucks a side. I think our mortgage, everything altogether, taxes and insurance, whatnot, was probably like 1100 bucks or something like that. And I immediately went in there, fixed it up a little bit, bumped up both sides of the rents to 900 each to just get that up a little bit. And we held on to that one for about another year and a half. Post that property, we have one other rental property. And then the other 
What's that if that's 11? The other nine properties have all been flipped so far. There's a reason for that because I wasn't always like, oh, I just want to like flip forever, right? Especially with like, for me, our personal goal of like financial freedom, it's like flipping still at some point is like a job, right? And, and we love it. It's a job we love, which is great. But the reason we're doing that is because we want to get to the point where we can have enough cash so that we can start buying rental properties and getting that residual. And a big thing we found in, in flipping is right now, for instance, like we're using hard money for all of our flips. And that's a big chunk of change every single time that you, you know, you go to closing, you're like, man, that hurts. So what we've been focusing on is let's just keep on flipping and flip our way out of hard money. And once we get to that place, then we'll just start burring, just burr all day long. That's kind of our goal. So Sean, you, you said that your dad had a, a big company, right? 350 employees. I think, uh, you know, a lot of people would come out and they'd say, cool, let me join the family business. What, what kind of, I guess, pulled you away from that a little bit to say, Hey, I want to go start my own thing on the side over here. Two things. One was looking at financial freedom and saying, you know, that trading of time for money. I like, I want to be able to do what I want with my time and not feel like I'm chasing the next position, the next zero at the end of my salary, just working, 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 doing all that stuff. And what I saw, so my, my grandfather, both of my grandpas were entrepreneurs. My dad was an entrepreneur. My dad started that company in 1976 in a garage, you know, and now he, and he's grown it all that way. Really, really cool. So I think I had part of that entrepreneurial spirit was just in me, right? Like there was just that sitting part where I was like, as an employee, it didn't matter who I was working for or what I was doing. There was like this itch in me. It was like, I want to do my own thing. Like that was a big factor. Um, finding financial freedom, that whole idea and wanting to chase it. And then when I looked at the corporate world and like the big companies, it's like, okay, as I rise up through this company, incredible, incredible opportunity, um, incredible opportunity to, to make money, have a great salary, very stable, like very stable future, potentially, if that's, if you're able to do that. What I loved about my family's company as well as they made you work for it. Our rule and our saying between my dad and my, and, and us was, I don't owe you a job and you don't owe me your career. Right? So when you earned your way in that company, you felt like you were creating your own clout, right? And the people around you. So that was a great thing. So that was all there. But what I saw up ahead was, hey, if I ever want to have the chance to run this thing and move up there, it's going to be more time, more money. I was traveling. And that last year where I was there, I was gone like two weeks every month. We were doing seminars, doing all this stuff. It was great. It was a lot of fun, but like it was hard for Ann and I. Lifestyle-wise, it wasn't what we wanted. So a combination of all those things in the real estate also on the time at the same time is like kind of building with us and we're seeing it be successful. And we're like, Hey, you know what, if we're going to jump, like this is the time. And if we're going to stay with the company, the next couple of steps in the company are, are big steps, right? And there's big commitments there. And I want to make sure I'm signaling the right thing, especially with my family, right? Like you're going to step up into a big role. You don't want to leave six months later or a year later. Like you want to make sure you're committed. And that was important to me the way we did that. So yeah, long way of answering your question. But. The Auburn farmhouse was also the, I would say the catalyst, the, sure, the Auburn yeah. flip house. And when I say that, I mean, um, when we moved from, uh, we started out in Cleveland. Um, that's where our first flip was. They moved Sean back to his business for a different position in Auburn, where he's from. And 
we acquired this little, I mean, I'm talking little farmhouse and it was magical because I think, what was it? Sean was your grandmother had her children in it. So my, yeah, my uncle was born in the house, like actually born in the house. So I've been in that family for like a hundred years or something like that. Yeah. And it, it was in great shape in terms of, you know, it was livable. It had renters in it at the time and it was given to us. But at the time we were thinking, okay, if this is going to be our home, let's renovate this property to be something that we could see ourselves bringing kids into it, living here for a long time. So we renovated that top to bottom. And I mean, to the studs, we had to rip out half the bottom of the house because there was black mold completely covering it, uh, the bottom of the house mid project. So it was a huge undertaking. We added, uh, gosh, two, do we add two bathrooms or just one? One bathroom upstairs. We moved the kitchen and the bath literally from bedroom. one end of the house to the other end of the house. Like just, it was, it was insane. It was it a was, big was, project. <laughs> and, and that's, yeah. that's kind of what gave you guys the confidence to say, Hey, we can actually do something like this on a regular oh my basis. Gosh. Exactly. Yeah. Well, not exactly. just the confidence, but I think at the end of it, we sat back and most people would say never again, this is great, but no, thank you. And Sean and I looked at each other like, Where's the next one? <laughs> let's, let's do it again. And it, it was invigorating. And not just that, the, the end product was truly magical. Like, I mean that with every fiber of my being. Um, it's wonderful because Sean's sister lives in the house now, sold back to the family. And uh, it's magical that she'll be able to, she just got married. She'll be able to have her own kids in there. And it's staying in the family, which is beautiful. But th when we were done with it, we sat back and went, we have a God-given gift. And I think we need to keep doing this. And, and not only that, but it was that flame that was just blown in terms of the, the flipping and the designing and, and the love for it aspect. I want to get into how you guys are financing these deals and what your systems and processes are. But first, Sean, I want to go back to you. What advice do you have for rookie investors who want to leave that corporate world? They want to leave that job. What are things, you know, some action items you did, or what are the things you needed in order to quit your job? Yeah. So for me, it was one emotional and two financial, right? And I'll start with the financial because that's a lot easier and it's, it's straightforward, right? When we decided, Hey, if we want to leave, we want to leave with some kind of stability because it's scary. Right. And we went out as house flippers. So when you're flipping houses, you might not get paid. You know, if you're flipping fast, it's like 90 days, 120 could be six months. You need to have something built up so that you can span that amount of time. Right. So Anne and my goal was, hey, before we make this jump, we want to reach two financial goals. One, I want to have enough after-tax money so that we can live for an entire year, right? Just like push that away so that, hey, when we're not making money, I, there's going to be plenty of stress to go along with starting out full-time on your own. You don't need to be worrying about like where the bread's coming from for the first year. So like, let's get that off the plate. So we save that up, put that away. Number two was, Hey, and we've, we can get into this in our story, but we're down here in Sandbridge, which is like Southern Virginia beach right now, which is like our, our love, our dream place. We said, Hey, we want to be in the Sandbridge as close to Sandbridge beach as we possibly can. And when we looked at the houses down there, we kind of did our research and we knew that when we left the company, we were not going to be able to get a traditional mortgage anymore, right? Like they're going to want, we're going to need some kind of co-signer. We're going to have to put 20% down. We weren't going to be able to do an FHA because they weren't going to let us move. Cause you know, when they check you on your mortgage right before they close, right before you close and say, Hey, you still working for them. So you can't pull, you can't do that stuff. So those were the two financial criteria. Can we buy a house in the area we want to be in with the school districts? And can we live for a year? So we don't have this incredible financial stress. I think those are good benchmarks to help you, right. In terms of looking at, 
taking that kind of jump. And also it can be if, if you have a full-time job too, right? It's like, okay, I'm going to buy a rental property. And you hear you guys talk about it all the time. It's like, make sure you have enough put away for emergencies. Things are going to happen. So like, put that away. That's financial peace, right? Financial peace is when you have enough money put away that something tragic happens and you can just handle it. And you don't have to go into this other place that's really, really hard, right? And it doesn't break you. It doesn't break your business or your family. The emotional side of it, I think is a lot harder, but I think what I say to some of my friends now who are either trying to get into real estate or thinking about it, they're like, you know, how did you do it emotionally? And I'm like, it's just smoking. It's like smoke and mirrors, right? Like right before you push through those smoke and mirrors, you're like, this is like going into a dark forest, right? You're like, you're like, I don't know what's going to happen. This is scary. Oh my gosh. And then you just, you take the step, right? And you just, you go, you close your eyes, you grit your teeth, and then you walk through and then you open your eyes and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm flying. Like, this is so much, this is beautiful. And once, once you move past that emotional barrier, you start to believe in yourself and you start to be able to see all these other possibilities. And you want that feeling more and more. And, and that can start when you're working for other, for other people. Like when I was working, we did our first flip. That was the first time of me. I remember sitting in, we did a mobile closing for our first flip. I was in a coffee shop. I was shaking in my boots with this guy. I'd never bought a house, let alone a flip. It was scary. And now we're signing closings and things like that. And I, we look at the, we look at the HUDs for five minutes. Yep. Here we go. Right. So <laughs> yeah. part of it, you guys talk about it a lot, but it's like getting that first deal done takes, takes care of so much emotional anxiety. And then two, just make sure you're in a good financial spot before you do something like that. Yeah. And I think the fact that you stayed in your job while you did your first flip, like shows that it's completely possible. Like you, you were working full time and you were able to do the flip. And I think that some people get caught up in is like, okay, well, I would just want to be a full-time investor. I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this. But then there becomes so many obstacles because it is actually very easy to find the time to work on real estate. But what's not mm -hmm. easy is going to a bank and getting a loan. And then they say, well, you quit your job. We're not going to give you a loan and overcoming those other obstacles or the stress of, OK, I quit my job. How am I going to feed my family? How am I going to pay my own mortgage this month? And that just adds to the stress of actually becoming a real estate investor. So if you can, I recommend working as long as you can until, like Sean said, you build that stability, you have your safety net and just like emotionally, you're prepared to ready to like dive into it full-time. So let's go into like the fun part. How are you guys, you know, funding these deals for each of the flips? Are you using hard money lenders? Are you using savings? How does this work for you guys? Yeah, right now it's um, hard money and, and you can jump in on this too, but I think it's a, it's kind of a fun story how we met our hard money lender. So when we left again, kind of checking all the boxes and actually I went on bigger pockets. I went on bigger pockets and said, mm -hmm. okay, hard money lenders, who can I find? Found like lending one, a couple of these other people, big, big national chains basically, and um, got approved from them. But what I've learned in, in business a lot of times is like local is so nice. Like a lot of times just local, there's understandings, there's not as many hoops. And so we got down here, I was looking for our first flip and I was walking our, our dog, like within the first week of us being down here. A rainy day, and like, go walk the dog. He hasn't been walked in days. And I was like, all right, fine, I'll go walk the dog. It's, it's rainy. I'm like, not super excited about this walk. And walking through the neighborhood, and I see a big dumpster in front of this, this house. And I see people throwing trash in it and whatnot. I'm like, oh, I know what they're doing. And so I walk up to the door and knock on the door. A um, couple of the laborers come in. I was like, hey, um, is, is your boss, is the boss around? Or you, you know, just introduce myself basically. I said, hey, I'm, I'm a fellow real estate investor, just moved here to Virginia Beach. And when I first walked up, I was just thinking to myself, like, hey, just chance to meet someone, right? To network. Hey, maybe he knows contract. You never know where these things are going to go. And this guy came to the door. 
we chatted for a little bit, got talking. I said, he flipped in the house. He said, yeah. I said, you know, it looks like you're doing a beautiful job. You showed me around a little bit. And I said, Hey, do you know any like local hard money lenders? And he kind of like looked at me for a minute and in my heart, I was like, come on, please, please. And he was kind of like sizing me up as if he's like, you know, this is one of my contacts. Am I going to give it to you? Um, and he said, he, he kind of, and he's like, yeah, he, I got somebody for you. I was like, great. So he texted me a couple of days later. I call the contact that he gave me. I don't. And when, what I found out a couple months later is this contact that he gave me, this guy's flipping this hard money lender is not just a hard money lender. He flips like 40 houses a year in Virginia beach with his crews. And then he funds like another third. He's, he's a big fish. Like he's rocking and rolling. Awesome guy. But I called him up. I said, Hey, my name's Sean. I just moved here. You know, we've only done three or four deals, but we're jumping into this full time. Like, would you be interested in helping us out? And as simple as that, he was like, yeah, you know, send me a deal. And then boom, seven deals later. Sean, let, let, let's, yeah, let, let's, let's pause for a second because I don't want this to get lost on listeners, but you did something that I think a lot of people will be afraid to do or that they wouldn't be comfortable to do. You walked on to some random stranger's home <laughs> and said, Hey, can, can you please, you know, and you introduced yourself, but look where it led you. But I, I think the point that the listeners need to take away from that is you should always be talking about what it is that you're doing because you never know where those conversations can lead you. Like, had you not had the courage um, to, to walk into that house and just introduce yourself and, and spark up that conversation, you, you wouldn't, maybe you wouldn't have found that hard money lender, right? So it, mm -hmm. it's when the opportunity presents itself, you have to be smart enough to identify that opportunity, but then you also have to be courageous enough to act on it. So I mean, the, the fact you did that, I just wanted to make sure we pause so that the listeners really let that sink in for a, for a second. One of Sean's biggest strengths within the businesses is his ability and lack of fear in networking. I mean, it's unbelievable. He, I remember he's, he's funny with me when he, when it comes to like ordering pizza, he's like, here's the phone, order pizza. I'm like, I, I don't want to talk to, I don't want to talk to them. Like you order pizza. And he's in the, the joke is that he isn't afraid to talk to anybody. Give me the phone. I'll, I'll order the pizza. It's, he's not afraid to talk to anybody. He will tell the, the guy bagging our groceries at the grocery store. Oh, you know, we're looking for houses or wholesalers or whoever. Or I mean, another testament to that is our the house that we just closed on our most uh, recent one, our landscaper. Um, and Sean, we're talking and he was like, you know what? I have a house that I've been wanting to sell. And long story short, we have his house now and it, the numbers worked out and it's going to be a great deal for us. I mean, that's Sean, that's his personality and, his <laughs> gift, and it's beautiful. So I'm glad that he has that side of it because I love people, but he's fearless really. I guess just break it down for the listeners. Just, you know, give me your, your 30 second spiel. Like, what did you say when you walk into that house? Do you just say, Hey, my name's Sean. Can you, you know, can you help me? Or like, like, what does that initial kind of opening dialogue look like? In that particular one, and I can get into like a more general because I, I hear what you're saying. In that particular one, I also had my home inspector license um, and had just moved here. So I kind of came at it from the home inspector aspect as well. But I think it goes back to the same principle that we we're talking about in the beginning is like, is there a way that I, is there something I can offer? Right. And in that situation for me, it was, Hey, you know, nice to meet you. I, I flip houses as well. Hey, I'm a home inspector. Like if you ever need like pre, like what, what we were taught by our mentor that was very helpful was to do pre-inspections before listing your property so that you don't have anything pop up on you. So I kind of talked to him about that from like a sales standpoint and talked. And then we, as we got through that, and once I felt that he was open to the conversation, I said, Hey, you know, we're new here. Um, and just being genuine, right? It's just like, hey, we're new here. Um, any chance that you know someone like this? I wasn't asking him to come fix my house or to like give me his money. And I've heard Brandon and the BP podcast talk about this a lot of times too. And you, and you just said it as well. It's like, 
when you're just talking about your, your, your intentions and your dreams and your journals, like things kind of come out and you don't have to be as direct as like, Hey, do you want to give me money? It's like, Hey, do you know anyone that might be able to give me money? Do you know anyone that would be helpful with this? And it's not putting the onus on them directly. They might be that person and they might think to themselves, yeah, I, I would be actually be interested or maybe they'll pass it off. So it's, that's kind of the stuff that I've done. I mean, and I appreciate you being super uh, affirming there. That was very nice. All these things you're saying. <laughs> I don't, I don't think I'm going to, uh, but I think one thing that helped me overcoming the fear was practicing getting out of my comfort zone. So I don't know if I gave a, a perfect, a perfect spiel there of like the lock and load, what to say, but I think a lot of it is just not having the fear and being comfortable. People are people just be genuine, ask questions. I was, I was really fortunate to do like a missionary year where I knocked on doors for like an entire year and you're and you're, you know, that's a totally different world. Right. So that really beat the fear out of me. <laughs> I had a lot, you know, you get a, you get a lot of shutdowns that way. And it's the same thing with sales. So it's just practice, mm-hmm. I think practice and being comfortable. So we kind of learned a little bit about a side of your responsibility, Sean, that's the face to face the talking to people. What other responsibilities do you guys have divvied up between yourselves? What are your roles in your business? Sean is at the projects every day. Sometimes, you know, sometimes he comes home late over eight hours a day. So that's one of the that's probably the biggest thing role right now. I mean, he's, I call him the money man. He's the money printer. I was terrible at math. Still I'm terrible at math, but I'm working on it. But he does all of that the financial side, the budgeting side, all of that. He's taught me so much and I've grown so much through that. Even in my own personal budgeting and financing, he's taught me that. So we're fortunate that my dad, he was like, basically professional painter. Since he can remember, he was born in Guatemala, um, came over when he was about four or five and him and his brothers just painted from 10 years old to even now. Um, His oldest brother has his own painting company now. So that's, he would come over and he would help us and he would sit down with Sean. But through that, my dad learned everything about flipping houses. Basically he's done in Northern Virginia where my parents live. He's basically flipped their house from tiling to putting in wood floors to drywalling and framing. So he would come up for our first couple of flips and say, all right, Sean, sit on this bucket and watch me tile. And after a couple cuts, Sean would say, and, hey, and a couple beers, a couple cuts and a couple beers. <laughs> Modellos <laughs> have been consumed in, in some of these homes. So he's there just working with his hands full time, I would say. Right, Sean, just that's kind of like your day to day. I have had straight up breakdowns on projects as I was trying to do something. <laughs> you know, when yeah. we, we call it, you know, your first time of doing something. The first time that I tried to like learn drywall and like to do that properly, we were doing our own house. We're doing like a live and flip. And we like thought we, we were ready to go, whatever. We start breaking down walls and there's stuff everywhere. The kids are running around. We're like, this, this is a terrible idea. So the kids leave and then I'm left here to like do the project. And and just learning, okay, I got to learn how to do electrical plumbing. And it's, it can be overwhelming. Right. But thankfully in our situation, like I had her dad to teach me how to drywall, teach me all those things. And the reason that I'm working on the projects full-time right now is over the course of our first year in business, I was working on the projects, but I was subbing out a lot of things and the market's so hot right now, not just for, for flipping or, uh, or buying houses, but also, you know, specifically for contractors, like there's just lines at Lowe's there's lines at home Depot. Our local Lowe's is having the best year they've ever had, even through the pandemic. So my subs were canceling on me, dropping out. And I was getting super frustrated because 
they knew they like, especially as a flipper, like you're trying to get very good deals for your contracting and they know, Hey, the, the great money for them a lot of times can be in resident. It's just as residential people saying, Hey, come do my floors, come do my, you know, my backsplash, my shower. And when that happened over the course of the first year, I said, you know what, I want to start bringing this in house. So now we've got three guys that work for us at the project. And I have an admin assistant on the side. And at least for now, we've kind of focused on until we can get out of hard money, like I need to be focused on actually working. But I mean, Anna, you should tell them about everything that you do. I mean, Anne is great about talking about how awesome other people are, but Anne literally with her design stuff, she's the one that sells, like sells the houses. Like that's what I say. Like we do the work, but the things that people show stop and give you, you know, cash offers or give you our offers in four hours, like, yeah, it's the market, but our houses fly. And that is a, a tribute to Anne. So I want to make sure that she gets some props too. Yeah, let's hear about that and how you decide on the design and how that whole process works for you. I like to say I'm, I play secretary. So I, <laughs> even though I'm, I'm a stay-at-home mom, but I'm basically secretary. So I've been really loving it. I, I sit behind a computer and I do all of the ordering. So whatever makes the boy's life easier. So if Sean just has to pull up with the truck and they load the tile, they load the flooring. So I do all the purchasing and all the design choices so that Sean doesn't have to think about that. Um, I, we've, we get lots of questions. I get lots of questions about how I make those decisions and why I will choose to go above and beyond, or maybe spend a little bit more in this area versus that area. And it's a really great question. I think something that's really important for listeners to hear is we have found it was risky at first, but I have found that sometimes to splurge in little areas of a flip house can like Sean said, really at the end of the day, sell the house. So for example, what I've kind of fine tooth combed into where we're at now is I kind of have this like three risk design role where I will choose three different areas of design within the home that I'm going to quote unquote, take a risk. So something that isn't neutral. So people ask all the time, oh my, oh my goodness, your houses are not beige and gray and have, you know, your classic shower kits or your laminate countertops, you know, you it's, it's got character. Your tile choices are mosaics and your cabinets are green. You know, why, why did you choose that? And like I said, I'll basically tell myself on each project, I have three different places that I can really take a risk. And I think it's safe to say that we've been pretty successful with the, with our houses. Um, we have a short little story for our last house um, that we're hopefully, we're closing right now. Hopefully, closing soon. Got an offer, accepted the offer. The realtor on their end called Sean and said, "I just want to let you know, actually, this was a totally different realtor." Yeah, it was a different realtor. She had reached out to you and said, "Hi, you know, can I show my client?" And Sean said, "No, actually, we just accepted it off. You can go see it, but we just accepted an offer, just so you know." And she said, "Okay, I'll go check it out." She walked in about half an hour later, gave Sean a call, and said, "I, I just want to let you know that I, you know, I've been a realtor in this area for X amount of years, and I've never seen a flip house like this before. You know, something that is quality, but not only that, it's full of character and something that I think my clients would just go gaga over. It's, it's not beige and cut and dry. It's, it's full of life. And for me personally, another reason that I choose to do that is once we jumped in full time and I said, okay, this is our business. Let's do this together. I really think that I'm starting to become passionate about this, especially ever after we did that Auburn flip house. I said, what I want to do is create a business, but also create art and something that we're proud of. And I want to have a portfolio that's 
beautiful. That really is beautiful. But also at the same time, like, I think my goal, actually, I know my goal is to create flip houses that are full of life and character, but at the same time, profitable, obviously for our family business. And I'm learning so much about the different places I can get budget tile and the different areas that we can, you know, save money and sweat equity right now is huge for us, obviously. So I don't know. I I tell Sean, we're just so blessed with every house that we get. It's like a canvas, you know, that I can kind of paint on. And if I can jump in there for a second, one of the things too, like she, she does all that, but Anne's also 32 weeks pregnant right now. And she's out in the garage, like at our last project, refinishing vanities. So <laughs> Anne, Anne used to flip furniture and you should see her out there. She's got her belly band on. It's so funny. I should say <laughs> I look beautiful. <laughs> you look gorgeous. It's like my, it's my favorite, Anne. She'll be out in the garage, like for this last project, we, and it's being resourceful, but like, sh- like she just said, it's like, okay, spend the the $6 a square foot tile in the little bathroom that pops, right? You, I think you hear that on BP a lot, and, but it's, it's, it's true wisdom, right? Uh, it, people, I think you can't say those things enough, right? Because there's other areas where you're going to um, need to be smart with your budget and take those opportunities to make them pop. You don't need to do the big 24 by 24 brown tiles from the floor to the walls. It's just like, come on, you know, you can, you can take some of that stuff. Maybe your spread was big and you would quote unquote, make a lot of money, but the house isn't selling. So guess what? You haven't made anything if you can't sell the house. So I would rather quote unquote, lose a little bit of money and know, quote unquote, that this house is going to go because it is full of life and character and, and to create something that people don't see every day, there's going to be a match. There is going to be a match for that person. So that's kind of my philosophy. I would personally rather have the money and the nice house. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so Anne, one follow-up question for you, right? So in my investing career, like we have a big uh, portion of our portfolio that's short-term rentals. And obviously the, the design is super important in short-term rental. I don't do any of the design because I'm, I'm terrible at it, right? But it seems like you've really got this figured out. So for the rookies that are going into their first flip, they've never really designed a space before. What are maybe some resources that you can recommend or like where should they start to identify how to set this space up? The number one place I think that I go to is just to just gather inspiration is our magazines, obviously, but Pinterest is probably the number one. It's so easy to just type anything what you're looking for into the search engine. So all white kitchen or white kitchen mosaic floor tile. I mean, any it's very easy to hit something in the search engine and then tons of inspiration comes up. Everybody's heard the saying that copying, what is it? Copying someone is the best form of flattery. Yeah, imitation is the best form of flattery. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Imitation is the best form of flattery. Well, to be honest, I will open up magazines that I see in a grocery store, or I will go on Pinterest or honestly following a lot of people, a lot of flippers on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and seeing a space that I love. If it sticks out to me, I will always save it. And then I study it. So I'll say, what did, what stuck up to me about this kitchen? It was, oh, that the the cabinets were white. That's affordable. We can do that. But this tile was this, or they had these open shelves that were rustic wood that just had a lot of character in it. I think people are loving that right now. So studying like people that you follow, other flippers, um, designers on social media, Pinterest, and then also just like I said, doing the research. What is trending quote and unquote. I don't like to get super stuck on that. Like what's trending right now, because things, you know, go out of style, but I I tend to like to stick to the classics, but at the same time, like 
if it's working right now, it's working right now. So it's it's definitely worth it to put into a house if if the shelves are are the rage right now. So doing the research, I would say in Pinterest and magazines and uh, definitely other followers. I love going the social media route and other house flippers and seeing what they're doing. I love that. I always will save or I'll screenshot and send it to Sean and say, look what this house flipper just did. We're doing this in our project. And now I'm sitting there like, please, no, I don't want to do that. Actually, <laughs> actually, you should have heard on this. She has been begging me. So like, I've only been tiling for like a year and a half tiling, but tiling is my favorite thing to do. It's fun. It's artistic, but also, you know, it's a rewarding construction thing to do. And she's been begging me, I think for like three or four projects, but could you please do herringbone somewhere? Please do herringbone somewhere. <laughs> and I've been like, I've been like, no, like I'm not, I'm not going to do it. Like, cause it's just, it sounds too much. And finally this project, she was like, come on, can you do it? And I was like, all right, there's a, like a small foyer. And I was like, all right, let's like, like, let's give it a whirl because that worked design wise for her, but also worked business wise for me. I was like, I can take the time to, to figure this out and try this out in this space. And it's not going to cost me several days on the project with me and the guys, like we'll, we'll be able to get this done. So it's kind of the, the balance between the two, but she does a great job of that stuff. And when she says research on Pinterest and Instagram, all that stuff, that's like most of our evenings, she's over there doing that and I'm doing budgeting or, or whatever. And then sometimes I have to say like, Hey honey, I'm over here. I love you still. Can we hang out? <laughs> but, but in, in people, but the thing with Anne is like, she's genuinely researching like how to find something great, but also to do it on the budget. And that's what I appreciate about Anne so much. Like our, we call it our light game. Like Anne spends a ton of time checking out the lights because they're a great pop. And one of the things I think is a good little tidbit is we buy almost all of our lights and ceiling fans, all that stuff. We get them off of Amazon. They have great choices. The return policies are great, right? And the pricings are good. If you're going to like Lowe's, Home Depot, Target, even places like, is it Overstock or Wayfair? Some of the places, there's a premium for those kind of places, but Amazon has that power and they have a lot of selection. And we're able to get a lot of unique uh, light fixtures that you don't see in a flip. And our light fixture budget for a whole house is like less than a thousand dollars. Could we save like $300 if we just got, you know, just flush mounts everywhere, this, that, and the other thing? Sure. But for 300 bucks, these make a big difference. So she's very good at making those kind of decisions and choices. The buyers will walk in and our house will stick out to them, obviously, mm-hmm. more than like the 10 other houses that they saw. You know, oh, honey, you remember the one with that dining room light? That's yes. the one, you know? <laughs> so it helps, like Sean said, it really does help with resale a ton. Well, we've talked a lot about the design and the construction and, you know, getting out of your W-2 job, but let's really break down a deal. I want to hear like the numbers and everything. So I'm just going to ask you guys a couple quick questions and then we'll really get into the story of this property. Which one did you guys want to talk about today? Um, we call it uh, Rick's Condo is the name of okay. the Okay. <laughs> and what market is it in? That is in Virginia Beach. Okay. And it's a, yeah. a condo? Is that the building it's a condo. type? Yep. Okay. Yeah, it's condo. I just want to add too that this one's really important because Rick was our elderly gentleman neighbor who sold us that condo and he he passed away um, from COVID-19, I think last, oh, last wow. week. About four weeks oh, ago. Incredible wow. man. Navy yeah. veteran. Incredible man. So yeah, keep him in your prayers. He's He was we, a great, great This great one's person. very special to us because yeah. of him and his passing. So go yeah, ahead. For sure. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to hear more about it. Uh, my last quick question is just what was the, the purchase price on this and what strategy are you using? Is it going to be a buy and hold, another flip? So this is actually one that we, we've we already gone through and sold. We purchased it for, I think, $79,500 is what we bought it for. And we sold it for $155,000, I believe, $155,000. And we put about, I think, $22,000 into the deal. 
What do you think that would have been if you hired everything out? What would have been the, the cost difference in that 22,000? If we had hired, actually, funny story, I was doing my first time doing two flips at the same time, and I was trying to outsource that entire project. So I had all the sub, that's when all the subcontractors had dropped on me because they had other things. I had two subcontractors text me on a Saturday and I had to like shuffle my whole schedule and get back to this house. But uh, to answer the question without doing a lot of the work with me and my guys, I think you're probably more on that project closer to 35. We did that project in five, we flipped it in five weeks that project. So five weeks there every day, but I, I would have to figure you're somewhere between getting up to 35 plus with paying regular, regular stuff, depending on what kind of subcontractor relationships you have. Yeah. So you still would have made a profit on this property. Yeah. That, and that was the goal. And, and for us, and I think that would be out if, if I think what I had budgeted was something closer to 30, just with the subcontractors that I had, I thought we were still going to be able to pull it off close to that. But once we brought it in house, we made a couple of, we put quartz countertops in that one, just some fun things as well. Cause we had the time and the availability then. So yeah. Striped shower. That was fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was really fun. Yeah. So how did you guys find this deal and how did you fund it? So this was again, our neighbor that we alluded to earlier. Um, when we first moved here, I walked across the lawn, just kind of introduced, this is me, I guess being me again, but I walked across the lawn and just introduced myself to kind of old school, you know, like my family just taught me like, that's what you do. You know, you kind of do that, you send your Christmas cards and do that kind of stuff. So I walked across the lawn, introduced myself. Uh, his name was Rick, really, really great guy. And um, it was about Halloween and we just I was at the house here, our home, flipping it by myself and the kids were up in Northern Virginia. And so him and I would hang out in the evenings, just like sitting on his porch. And it's just great to hang out with old guys sometimes, you know, they're, they're no, they're in no rush. The good stories. Um, yeah. The good stories. Tell him how we met his wife out in Hawaii, you know, when he was on a ship, really cool. So about three months later and through that, you know, I share, Hey, we're, we're house flippers. Like, this is what we're doing. We're starting this full time. About three months later, he came over to me and said, Hey, you know what, Sean? Um, I have I have a condo. I've had it for about 25 years. And I'm I'm thinking about getting rid of it. You know, I'm thinking I'm gonna sell my actual house. I'm I think I'm gonna move into some kind of assisted living. Just I, I want to be able to take some of these things off of my plate. Uh, would you be interested? And um, obviously I was like, Yeah, absolutely, Rick. I would like love that opportunity. And one of the important things with that was so I went back, I looked at the numbers. I realized how hot the market was and said, look, I don't want to lose the opportunity to get this deal. So I'm not going to try and just like, one, I don't want to lowball him out of respect, but two, like the market's very hot. And if he chooses to go to the market, I think he can get X amount of dollars. So I put together just how I would any other deal, our, our regular profit goals. And I went back and made him the offer. So I'm sitting there anxiously waiting. And in the meantime, I'm looking for another deal. And my realtor found us one. I went and looked at the property. I had the offer packet in my truck. She brought it to the property to sign. I said, you know what? I just want to think about it. It was a big rehab. Like it was like 40 for us, a big rehab. It was like $50,000 rehab made me a little antsy. It was a little tight on the profits. I'm driving home and I'm just like, it just, I don't know. It doesn't feel right. And as I'm pulling in our street, I gave her a call. I said, you know what? I'm going to pass. Something doesn't feel right. The numbers are really tight. I just feel anxious about it. I'm going to pass hang up the phone, turn into our street. And I see as I'm pulling in the driveway, Rick is walking across the lawn with a stack of papers in his hands. I get out of the truck and he goes, Hey, I'd like to do the deal. Boom. And he handed it to us. And then we, we went and rolled. So it was really cool. It was a great blessing that he gave us the property. And yeah, we, it was, it was really awesome. Very providential experience for sure. 
it goes back to your superpower, Sean, right? Of, of just being able to connect with people. And, and, you know, it, you know, we laugh about it because it's funny that, that you kind of have that, but it's such an important thing in real estate investing to, to be able to do that. Now you, you talked to us about the, the actual rehab, you, you know, said it lasted five weeks. Um, what about the post-close experience? Like, you know, how long, how long was it on the market for? Do you guys have any issues selling it? Talk to us about that experience. Uh, that one was great. I mean, I think we put it on the market. I think we had a, we let it sit for a little bit because this was about the time, like where the bidding wars were starting to go crazy, right? So you're getting offers within hours, but you have a decision then to be like, okay, well, I got it like an above price offer, but like, I wonder what another 24 hours would do, right? And that's kind of the way we had looked at this one. So within the first, I think 24 hours, I think we had three or four offers and we can, we can break down into those two because there are definitely some decisions to be made right when looking at different offers. But someone came to us, said, hey, I have a conventional 20% down. I'll give you asking price, no contingencies, and we can close in three weeks. So unlike upstate New York, Ashley, where it takes forever <laughs> to close in houses, you can just kind of lock and load down here, which is great. We took that offer and... Uh, that was it. It was done. It was very, very, very easy. So it was a great deal for us. Can we pause on that really briefly? So you said that was there an offer that was higher than that one, but you guys chose that one because of the, yeah. Can you, can you walk listeners through kind of what the other offers were, why you went with the offer that you went with? And I think this is more so illustrative because as a potential investor, these are some of the things you can put in your offer to get the deal, you know, even if you're not offering the most amount of money. So break it down for us. You know, we're down here in Norfolk, Virginia Beach area, which is the biggest naval base in the world, right? So there's a lot of military, so there's a lot of VA loans. Um, and then just, you know, in our current financial structure in the country, we have FHA is a big loan that a lot of home home buyers will use, but they're either 0% down for the VA or you have somewhere around that 3% mark for the FHA. And when you're looking at those compared to a conventional buyer who's putting down 10, 20-ish percent, when you look at those deals in front of you, even if they are offering you the same amount, you know, the conventional guy has a little more cash and a little more financial stability to the effect that, hey, and there's nothing wrong with that. We've sold deals, great deals with, with VA, with FHA loans, worked out wonderfully, all those things. But when you have that opportunity in front of you, I'm more confident that the person putting 20% down and making a maybe a larger earnest money deposit and saying, hey, I want no contingencies, that person wants a house and they're a strong buyer, right? The, the other guys, they still have to get their financials checked. Something could go wrong. If, if something on the project goes out of whack, like it doesn't appraise, probably the 3% or 0% person, they're probably more likely not to come out of pocket and pay the difference if that's what happens. The 20% person, you know, they've got some cash. So that's one thing to look at. This particular deal, um, we had the conventional one that we went with with no contingencies. I think we had another offer for like 10,000 over, right? But it was an FHA. They wanted us to put in uh, we didn't put a refrigerator in this project. So that's a small little tidbit. If you do a great job on your flip, we put in new appliances sometimes. And if it's not in the budget, we don't always put a refrigerator in. Our first mentor taught us that, you know, you're talking a couple grand to put these in. And for us, it's something that saves. So we had decided not to put one in this. I said, I'll give you 10 grand over. I do want a home inspection contingency. And I do want you to put in a fridge. And for me looking at that, I was like, okay, that's starting to make me a little bit nervous. But two, and very importantly, is do you understand what your house is capable of appraising for? Just because the market is super hot and people are making these crazy over-the-top bids, unless they're doing cash or saying that they're willing to pay the difference of what appraisal is versus what they're offering, you as the seller can get hurt, right? 
So he's budgeting, he's throwing out 165 because that's a big carrot to me. I'm like, oh, 10 extra grand. This is great. But we had done our market research on this condo. We knew that we were already pushing the appraisal value of that condo and we were pushing it hard, right? So the probability of an FHA or VA appraiser coming in and hitting it 10,000 more than we had already pushed it was very low. And FHA and VA loan appraisers tend to be a little more strict than the conventional guys, right? So those two factors, I was like, this house is not going to appraise for 165. We're, we're not going to get that. So those were some of the deciding factors on that particular deal. There was a couple other offers, but compared to that conventional one and, and all that were, were great. So what did it end up appraising for? It appraised for the, what we, what we put it up for. We got well, what 155 we wanted. Is exact, yeah. That's what it appraised for too. They, Cause they did the conventional loan and it was exactly that. Oh, cool. it was exactly yeah. what, and we were, we were probably like, when we looked at it with our realtor and, and I'm real conservative with that stuff. I'm like, right, I'm willing to push mm-hmm. it, but I, it's gotta be somewhere in the ballpark, right? Because you can get hurt really fast. I think actually now that we've been talking, I think it was 159 is what we put it up yeah. for. So we were, and it's a small condo, small, it was, I mean, it raised the value of all those condos in that place. You know, it was one of those kind of deals. So like you're the leader and the leader sometimes yeah. wins and the leader sometimes <laughs> loses, but we won on that one. So I think that is such a great advice as to, yes, yeah, like this offer looks great because it's more, but you're right. Looking at the appraisal side of things is that person that's putting in this offer going to bring that extra money to the table if needed. So I think that's really great advice um, comparing. And I'm glad we went through this as doing that example of comparing these different offers and what you have to look for and what you should avoid. Uh, so thank you for sharing that with us. Uh, Tony, is there anything else you wanted to to ask about this deal before we move on to the minus set segment? I think we should just highlight the profit, right? So, so just run us through the numbers yeah. really quickly, right? <laughs> yeah. So you guys, you guys bought it for 79, you put another 22 into it, you sold it for 55. I can't do math in my head that fast. So what, what does that profit break out to? <laughs> uh, yeah, I was just got my calculator out too. Um, I'm trying to remember. So I, I believe we made about $42,000 on that deal and that was using hard money. Uh, right. So we, that's one of our goals, right? We, if we weren't using hard money on that deal, another $9,000 in profit on that particular deal, something around there, I think is what we paid. So we made 42. One other thing to point out on that particular deal is I did a limited listing agreement. So when you go on the sale side, right, and you have a realtor list the property, they're typically, you know, the buyer, you have to, the seller always pays the, the uh, realtor fees. So the buyers always want their 3%. And then depending on what your relationship is as a seller with your realtor, you know, a lot of flippers have deals with their realtors. So it's, hey, it's more like 2%, 1%, percent percent and a half. Well, this particular deal, because I had found it on my own, I decided, you know, I'm going to try my hand at listing it myself. I paid $750 to get that listed on the MLS. And that saved us a few, an extra two, three grand or something like that. So another thing to consider uh, for listeners out there. So let's move on to our mindset segment. And this is kind of the rookie rear view, like looking back, what, you know, how has your mindset shifted during this time, during this whole process? What advice do you have for rookie listeners on your mindset? Sure. We might have two different answers. So, so we'll see. Let's hear from Um, both of you on it. Yeah. For me, especially since I wasn't, I was the partner that wasn't on board in the beginning. I think if for me personally, I don't speak for everybody. I think for some couples, it would have worked out to say, this is your thing. You know, this can be your side hustle, side hustle. This can be kind of your fun thing on the weekends or your thing, and then not get involved with it. 
for some people that works great, right? Because maybe she's into something else that's her own thing. And then he can be a part of his own thing for us. The magic happens when we do things together. And so I think when I first, looking back, when I took that leap and said, okay, not only can we, yes, get into this business full time, but I would like a role in this so that I can be a part of this. And that I also can feel like I'm contributing to our family. At that time, I didn't know how much I would love this industry and this business. And it was part of that trusting my spouse, but it was also knowing us as a couple and knowing us as a team and saying separate, we're fine. We're, we're great even, but together we work so well and, and communication is something that we continue to work on. But even like from the beginning, it's our number one, just thing that we work on in our marriage, in life, it's, it's always growing, but through working together and through being just business partners together, it has bonded us. And I have grown so much. I mentioned that before with my, with the money and numbers, and I'm not a math person. I'm way more on the artsy side of things, but I have grown so much in our own personal budget and just saving money in our own day to day and having kids and, and that kind of thing. So I think looking back, it was that moment of, okay, yes, we can do this, but if we do this, we're doing this together because I know our strengths. And then once I decided to do that, now I'm just obsessed and I love it myself. <laughs> so that would be, I guess, my answer. You, you hear communication a lot um, from the husband and wife teams is something that, that really helps them be successful. And, and it makes sense, right? Because if you guys are successful as a husband and wife, you will probably be successful as business partners for the most part. I guess, Anna, I guess this question is more so for you. Were there were there any big fears that you had walking into this that turned out to be totally untrue? Like you were, you were really, really afraid that this thing was going to happen. But then as you kind of stepped into it, you're like, hey, that, that, that actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> Other than starving, <laughs> we're, we're not starving. So that's good. That, that's, that's a good first step, right? Um, yeah. I think in the beginning, and a lot of people ask me that, as one of my mom's number one questions right now is how, so what does the future look like? how are you going to pay for college? You know, how about I get a ton of questions about insurance. That's a really big one. You know, how do you got, what? Oh my gosh, you don't work for a corporation. Who are you paying? How are you getting insurance? How are you going to the doctor? How are you having babies? Let's, let's touch on that real quick. What are you guys using for health insurance? Sean can talk a little bit about that because we've been, we've been on a journey. So hopefully we can help people not, I guess, make some of the mistakes. <laughs> Yeah, just kind of touch on that briefly, because that that's a great point. That is a huge topic. Like, that's a really hard thing. Like, even for myself, I'm basically a full time investor, but I still work for my old investor. Very, very small amount of time each week, just so he pays my health insurance for me. And that's mm -hmm. like a, a big decision. That's going to be a huge lump of money we have to put out yeah. when eventually I don't do that anymore. So I'm very curious to hear about this. Yeah, absolutely. I can jump on that. So, yeah, like when I first left my father's company, like they offer you like Cobra insurance, you know, mm -hmm. after the fact. And I was like, Oh, okay, well I'll check it out for me. And, and, and two kids per month, we were going to have to pay like $1,700 just to like, just, just nothing else goes wrong. Like just yeah. here you go. <laughs> 
And I remember I was sitting there with the HR lady and I just like laughed out loud. I was like, I was like, I was like, no, no, this is not going to happen. I was like, no, I'll pass. Actually. The reason I was able to laugh out about it is because we had been doing our research because it is a real fear. And like, we have a growing family, like we have kids, like you don't know if anything's going to go wrong, et cetera. I want to get a motorcycle. So Anne's worried about that. You know, there's all, <laughs> that was a selfish plug for the motorcycle. And we're going to talk um, about that later, honey. We'll talk about it later. But anyway, what we did is we reached out to a lot of friends. We just did our research and there's a lot of health sharing groups out there now on the internet. So we're, we're pretty big into our faith for us personally. So we have the, found this one. So Christian health share ministries, basically what they call it. So it wasn't typical health insurance, but for me and the family, and just as a general way, just to, to go over, it was like $500 a month for a family of four. That's been a really good deal for us. And I think another thing, yeah, you do have to put away money every month for that kind of stuff though, right? Because they do cover things. You do, you still have co-pays. Things are going to be a little more expensive. So yeah, it's a great question to ask. It's a real thing that happens. It's a real thing you have to consider, but do your research. You know, Ann, Ann's pregnant now. So we actually had to switch her over to Anthem through Obamacare. So she's on that. But I think that's one of those things that we get scared of the comfortability and the safety nets. And it's like, there's a lot out there that you can catch and, and get on. And um, you got to move and modify. A big thing that we were told early on from one of our mentors is like, you have to have the ability to move and modify, not get emotionally stuck on some of these things. But yeah, for health insurance, that, that is what we did. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for sharing that with us. And I just searched real quickly because I remember hearing it on the Bigger Pockets Money podcast. So if anyone wants to learn out more information, um, it's episode 94, where they really go into depth of different options you can have as self-employed or, you know, you're retiring, whatever, for health insurance, if you guys want to check that out. Tony, you want to take us to the Ricky request line? <laughs> This show is sponsored by Airbnb. Did you know that a long time ago, before I ever started my real estate business, I turned one of my first primary residences into an Airbnb? And that's the extra income that I needed from Airbnb that gave me the confidence to go out and work for myself and eventually quit my nine to five job. And now I have dozens of Airbnbs all over the country. I've even partnered up with the old David Green on a recent property in Scottsdale to take our portfolio to the next level. And of course, we host it on Airbnb. But you don't need to be a full-time real estate investor to start on Airbnb. As a matter of fact, I was self-managing 10 properties while working my 9-to-5 job, so I know anybody can do it. Think about it this way. You're looking for extra income and going on a vacation. Wouldn't it be great to rent out your space and let your property pay for itself while you're gone? I did this one time. I pitched my wife and my roommate because we were house hacking on the idea of renting out our home, and it paid for all of our expenses on a trip to Mexico City. So go and give it a try. It might just change your life just like it did mine. And I really do mean that. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. 
In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rookies, if you guys want to get possibly have your question shown on the Ricky Real Estate Show, give us a call at 8885-RICKY. Uh, we'll take a listen. If we like the question, we'll, we'll share it with the guests. So, Sean and uh, today's question. Hey, guys, this is Avery from Delaware. Just calling with a quick question for you. I've done one deal so far. I'm getting ready to wrap up on my second flip with a third under contract. It's a buy and hold duplex and possibly a fourth that I'm working on. How do you guys deal with this feeling of almost like imposter syndrome? So going from learning and spending all this time analyzing to actually doing and feeling like I still have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm I'm, I'm just doing it, you know? All right, thanks. So kind of flying by the seat of your pants, I guess, like that feeling is what he's getting at. I understand that. I understand that for sure. Well, like one rule that I told myself, you know, when you like, okay, I've started a business now is... One, to have some humility, I think is a good part of that. It's like, hey, look, you know, I've seen some people that have been in business and been very successful for a long time. I've been doing this for a year and a half full time. So most of the time, it's like, I'm not going to be, I've chosen that uh, until I've hit like five years plus, I'm not going to give out a lot of advice as if I'm some guru, right? I'm, we're still rookies. We're still working. We're in there. So I do have that mindset and try to keep that humility in front of me, um, which I think is helpful. But on the flip side, yeah, I hear that. Fake it till you make it sometimes. When I was a home inspector, you know, people, or you do any job, right? You come in your customer service, you're answering the phone. It's like, you're, it's your first time doing it. Are you going to be great at it right off the bat? But no, but have some confidence in yourself and just focus on the job. So my advice would be treat it like any other new thing you've ever done, right? If people see you at the beach with a surfboard in your hand, I think imposter, they're like, oh man, this guy's a surfer, right? And you get worried. Are you not going to go out and surf just because you're scared of people judging you when they see you out there falling on your face the whole time or, or whatnot? It's like, go out there and, and give it your best shot and, and just try. And then all of a sudden you'll find that like you are that person over time. So yeah, just lean into that feeling. I say like lean into it and, and embrace it. I think that's a really great piece of advice. And like, just to be transparent with, with all of you, right? Like I, I felt that coming into this hosting position, right? Like what you guys want me to be a host on a bigger pockets podcast. Like, like I'm, I'm still new myself. Like how, you know, what, what could I possibly have to add to other people? But it's like, as you start to kind of get some momentum behind you, uh, you, you start to build that confidence in each subsequent deal, you become more and more and more confident, right? And you become more and more 
sure of yourself as an investor. And there's still moments where I, I kind of doubt myself where it's like, I don't really, I don't know how to do flooring, right? I, I've never, you know, demoed a house on my own. Like there's so many parts of real estate investing that I don't know, but there's also so much that I do know, right? And, and it's that, that growing of the parts that you do know that I think make you feel more confident, make you feel more comfortable. So, you know, for, for the guests that asked that question, for the listeners that asked that question, just keep going, right? Just, yeah. just keep going. And like just being open to still learning. Like Tony and I learn so many things every single episode. And it's so awesome to be in this position to be able to ask the questions selfishly that, you know, <laughs> that we want to learn about and, and explore. So I think that's a big thing too, is be open to continue to learn. So let's go on to our random questions. So I'll go first. And my random question for you guys, as you spoke in the very beginning, you had $90,000 in student loans, was it? What advice do you have for rookies on tackling that debt? What kind of lifestyle changes did you guys make? Did you increase your income? What did you guys do for that? Sure. I, I think a cool part about that story is, uh, well, I don't know if it's cool, but just to make it more relatable, is we were not high income earners, right? So I think sometimes it's like, well, we just made a ton of money. What, what can I say? You know, we weren't. Ann was a school teacher. I was in customer service just starting out. So yeah, it was $93,000 at 6, 6%. It was, it was a big burden. And we saw that kind of on the horizon, like right before we got engaged. Right. And it was very important to me to that we were unified. And then we tackled that. I was like, I don't want to be sitting here in 15 years, still paying off these student loans like that, that would drive me nuts. So Ann and I went to financial peace university, which is part of Dave Ramsey. We love Dave Ramsey. Obviously, I think there's a balance there. He's a great, great starting point for money management. And then obviously like we do believe in like some positive leverage, obviously being flippers as well. And I really love my Amazon credit card points. So like you're not taking those away. <laughs> <laughs> but when it comes to when it comes to paying down debt, like we we soaked that up and it taught us a lot of tools. So what we did with that, we paid off $93,000 of student loans in two and a half years as Ann is a school wow. teacher and me doing customer service and we hit it hard. And so we took our tax returns for the way it, the way it fell over time, that two and a half years fell over three years of tax returns. We took all of our tax returns. We took, we got a little bit of money for our wedding. We put all of that to it and lived at her grandma's house before we got married for like eight months. And she was just, she was a special education teacher in Virginia. She took all of that money. I think, and by herself post-grad, like before we got married, paid off close to $30,000 by herself. Mm -hmm. Her awesome. parents gave her like a, gave her like a 2000 old Dodge caravan minivan to run around with. Like it was, you know, it was, whoop. <laughs> it was whoop, but it was free. So she mm -hmm. did that. She lived at her grandma's and then we also would do our monthly budget. Right. And that's kind of what catalyst to turning us into big savers that allowed us to get our first real estate deal. Honestly, is we said, Hey, look, our minimum payments for this loan are 400 bucks a month. Like let's do like, let's just squeeze this as much as we could. Right. So like we didn't spend a lot of money um, on our, we each had like, which actually now it's, it's, it's less sometimes, which is funny, but back then it's like, okay, we each get 50 bucks a month for personal money, go spend it on whatever else you want. And we just lived by that budget and any difference that we had for that two and a half years, we just, we just rolled it. We just like threw it at it every chance we could. So that's kind of what we did. Yeah. I love that you guys share that because I think for a lot of listeners, they're looking at, at the two of you and they're like, man, you know, they're, they're killing their 11, 12 deals or flipping this or doing that. And, and they start comparing themselves and like, man, well, well, why am I not there? 
And it's because they haven't sacrificed in the way that you guys have, right? They didn't drive the 89 Dodge Caravan. They, they didn't live with grandma. They, they aren't doing the, the monthly budgeting things. But those are the sacrifices that you need to make in order to put yourself in position to become a real estate investor. So for those of you that are listening, think about what sacrifices you're not making, right? Thinking about, think about the, the hustle that you're not doing and start kind of questioning yourself and what lifestyle changes you need to make to really put yourself in a position to be a real estate investor. So I'm, I'm a big mindset guy. So when I hear stuff like that about you guys hustling really hard, I, I got to make sure I highlight it. So, so my question for you guys, slightly different with all the flips that you guys are running, are there any software or tools that you guys have that help make managing those projects more efficient, more easy for you guys? Uh, what do you got? My entire business is on my Google drive. Um, it gives me like, I do my time sheets for my guys for payroll. They all have Google sheets in there so they can log in and log out their time. I have all of my budgets in there, our profit and losses. I, so every Thursday night for tonight, for example, I'm meeting with my admin assistant and we'll go over the budget. Yeah. Just Google drive, Google sheets, Google drive, just the whole deal. I each, <laughs> each folder and it helps you keep it organized. Right. Cause like in my Google drive, I have like properties and flips and like, that's one of the tabs I go in there. Each property is has its own folder. And when you first go into the folder, I have the purchasing HUD and then I have the selling HUD and then I have the budget and then, I, and then one for others. In that others category, you know, I have an Adobe scan app on my phone I use constantly. So like if I have a subcontractor sign on something, if I pay utility bills, I scan those and I upload them to my Google Drive, put them in those others folders because you never know when you're going to need them. So yeah, I guess thanks to Google, not that they need it, but thanks to Google. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, touching on that too, Tony, sometimes like why reinvent the wheel? Like sometimes simplicity and saving and little areas like that, we don't need some, you know, another monthly payment of some program that we have to subscribe to that claims to make life easier. You know, it's like, maybe we'll have that one day when we're big and it's necessary. But like for now, Google Drive is free and it works wonders. So it's just another area where it's like, you know, when it's time, it's time to bump up to something else. But for now, Simplicity kind of is, is the right direction to go. So I really like that tip. Yeah. We are doing a payroll service as well, but. Oh yes, we are doing a payroll We service. use AD, ADP for, for payroll just like through, and we do on their app. Like there's two, another one of those, just to Ann's points, like ADP is a big payroll company and you can do it on your computer and download this big, big desktop software and do it all that way. And when I was calling around this by ADP, you want to try it out. I didn't know this, but I was like the, one of the t first three people to ever try it. You know, they don't <laughs> tell you that, uh, <laughs> but uh, he's like, Hey, if you, if you try the app, we'll give you free payroll for the first six months. So like, I was like, yeah, like, let's give it a whirl. So like all those things, you know, kind of go together, but yeah. Yeah. Your advice and about the, the software, cause a lot of, this is a problem I run into is you, yeah, you sign up for these softwares, you you can upload all your documents, everything's in one place, but then what happens when you're ready to leave that software? Whether like, for example, when I switched everything from being the property manager to another property management company, okay, I'm not paying for the software anymore. Okay, you have to individually go in and download every single file. Like they do not make it easy to not use their software. So like now anything I use, like I'm doubling it in Google Drive anyways. And so now for my documents on my properties, like almost exactly how Sean had described it, the folders, just like that, like the acquisition, you know, the, the rental information, all that stuff is in Google drive. Um, just because that, that way I always have access to it and I'm not having to double put it into places anyways. Right. Right. So that's a great tip. 
Can you guys tell us uh, where people can find out some more information about you guys? Um, I'm sure everyone's going to be wanting to follow you guys on Instagram and seeing these pictures of your guys' flips. So please share. Thank you. I do the social media, I guess, managing. So our handle on Instagram is probably where I do the most live, I guess, just updates on our flips. And um, we'd love, you know, for people in Virginia Beach to follow that too, because then they can see, you know, if they're looking for a house, they can slowly watch the progression of a house being done. So that's it's fun. So our handle is underscore uh, team Wayne. So at underscore team Wayne. And then we do have a website that Sean will blog on a little bit. I think you've written one for me, Sean. <laughs> I love, <laughs> love him. He's so busy. I'm like, I need you to write more blogs for me, but Sean and Ann.org is our kind of our SNA website. And that's another area that's more of kind of the visual piece. So if you're looking for, and I do a lot of DIY on there as well. So just tips on painting or flipping furniture, or right now I'm doing flipping vanities. So if investors are thinking of, you know, a vanity or or, or cabinets being something that they want to flip or save money on, I have tutorials on there, just tips and products that I use. So, but it's, it's mostly, yeah, just a place where, we are putting our projects and um, we can highlight our portfolio and our journey. And I think Sean said it before, like that humility piece is I have on, on the website that we're still becoming rookies. And if people want to follow us along on this journey, we want them to be with us because you don't want to feel alone. You want to have that come right where you are struggling or they were where you were, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. We love having other rookies or other investors or newbies just right there alongside of our journey. So yeah. And like I said, I mentioned before, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration. So I'm always on there and telling people, oh my gosh, we're doing this at our next flip. Thank you so much for sharing. So so, so now you guys are going to see a bunch of other flippers doing the same herringbone pattern yeah. that you just did all, all over the place. So. Sharing is sharing. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And uh, awesome. just, to, just to add on what Ann just said too, I was not I, like, I mean, I'm a millennial. So like, obviously I understand social media and I like social media, but as I've gotten older, I've more like disconnected from it and been like, I don't, I don't need that. And when we first started and started doing Instagram on the website, I was like, I don't like, we're, we're not like looking for jobs or anything like that. Like, you know, we don't need to, we're not, you know, Chip and Joe, like it's just, you know, whatever. And she really pushed back on me. She's like, no, I'm just doing it. Cause it's fun to me. And it's engaging. And guess what? Like through her Instagram, so many things have happened. Like we had someone reach out to us to when we're in our first year to kind of help them with several of their own projects that like turned into actual real money for us through some of the relationships of her Instagram posting. We had someone offer to be a hard money lender for us. So I really had to eat my shorts on that in the end. I was like, okay, all right, I'll step back. I'll step back. (laughs) But see, so, I mean, but that, that's, that's really interesting there, right? Because Sean, you're the kind of in-person spokesperson that's like doing a lot of the connecting, but then Anna sounds like you're the digital version of that, right? Where you're making connections with people through social media, through the blog, and both are super important because people do business with people that they know, like, and trust. And Sean, you're doing it in person and you're doing it online. So you guys are really hitting it from both angles. I, I yes. love that. Well, 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 guys, you dropped a ton of knowledge today. Before we sign off, Ashton, I just want to give a quick shout out to one of our, our real estate rookies. So for the listeners, if you guys want to get shout out on the podcast, join the Facebook group, uh, just search the, the Rookie real, real Estate Facebook group, uh, tag us on Instagram, things like that. We're, we're looking for folks that we can shout out. But for today, we're shouting out Randy Searcy. So Randy just finished up his very first investment property. Now he's moving on to the second one. So Randy, kudos, brother. Glad to see you killing it out there and can't wait to see the second one hidden live. So appreciate it, brother. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. This is really fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you guys so much. It was an amazing opportunity. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, you guys gave such great advice. And I think our listeners are going to take a lot of value from it.
So I'm Ashley Kerr at Welcome Rentals, and he's Tony Robinson at Tony J. Robinson. Make sure you guys listen to us on Saturdays and Wednesdays. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.